How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode three of X Lapsedination. And you know, I uh, I try not to date these shows. I try to keep them as timeless as, as possible. But uh, I don't mind telling you all that uh, we're getting this one in just under the wire. Um, the family and I are in the middle of a move, so uh, the schedule has just been uh, more of a challenge than usual. It's uh, a lot of a lot of plates spinning right now, so. I'm glad I was able to actually attend to this program today and uh, and get it out in time. So let's get right into it. This is Extermination Number 2, which had an October 2018 cover date. The story is called, ironically enough, Extermination Part 2 of 5, written by Ed Brisson with art by Pepe Larraz, colors Marty Gracia, letters VCs Joe Sabino, edits Robinson, Shan, White, and Sabalski. Cover price $3.99. Went on sale August 29th of 2018. Now, we open in a grocery store in Passaic, New Jersey, where one Calvin Rankin, that's the uh, the mimic if you're nasty, I guess, uh, he's checking for expiration dates on half gallons of milk. He's greeted by Kid Cable, who shoots him right in front of a whole bunch of people. The mimic, who lay unconscious, is told that his services are required and... Uh, Yeah, I think that's what we'd call uh, starting off with a bang. We jump over to the Xavier Institute for Mutant Education and Outreach in Central Park, which is a ridiculously long name every single time I say it. There, Scott is having himself a sulk on the steps. In fairness, his would-be girlfriend, Bloodstorm, was just murdered. And since Ahab was looking for him when he killed her, Scott, you know, he blames himself. I can understand that. Now he's joined by Jean Grey, who lets him know that she's here for him if she wants to, to- if he wants to talk, and even if he doesn't, she's still there for him. Oh, and she also will not pry into his mind, and it's kind of funny how she kind of has to mention this with everyone she speaks to now. In all honesty, this was a very nice scene. I liked it a lot. Uh, we jump ahead a little bit to a big old amalgamated X-Men color guard and adjacent meeting, which... I swear is all we're ever seeing in these color book era crossovers, isn't it? The meeting, as always, is being conducted by headmistress Kitty. Uh, Shatterstar, he's the last to arrive to the meeting, and it's confirmed to him, and I suppose to us as well, that Cable is 100% dead. Also Bloodstorm, she's dead too, and oh yeah, young Bobby's missing as well. Uh, They don't know, however, if young Bobby is still among the living. To which, real Bobby suggests that... Should young Bobby die, then he probably would have disappeared, right? Now, real Hank suggests that that's not a definite cause-and-effect situation. Bobby cites that when young Scott was briefly offed during the Battle of the Atom event, and real Scott vanished briefly, he uses that to cite 
proof of his theory, right? Poor fellow must not know that we've changed editors-in-chief, and we lost Bendis to DC Comics by this point, so anything that happened there, your guess is as good as mine. Kitty then lays out everything the X-Men know at this point in time, which is basically Ahab probably done it all. Now, Ahab, the word Ahab, is Rachel's cue to dump a whole bunch of angsty exposition on us. First, she's kicking herself for not realizing that Ahab was returning, you know, since her hound markings have been showing up again. Though in fairness to her, that seems to be something that's usually left to the artist's discretion. Sometimes she has the markings, sometimes she doesn't. It doesn't always signal proximity to Ahab, does it? It's just, sometimes the artists like drawing them, sometimes they don't. Anyway, Rachel knows about the future that Ahab comes from, and yada 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 yada. Kitty goes about laying out the plan. And it's our, it's our Justice League Justice Society Summer Special. A.K.A. the very same thing Kitty had the X-Men do during Phoenix Resurrection. You see, we're breaking off into teams, with nary a MacGuffin in sight, either. Now, that's not all. Each of the four teams that she's splitting the X-Men into will include one member of the time-displaced original five. Well, well, the four that are left, right? To protect them. So, okay, you know, that kind of makes sense. If Ahab is after the time-displaced original five, then, hey, let's protect them as best we can. Well, young Scott, he gets up and he stomps out of the room. Young Warren runs after him, and they're soon joined by young Hank and young Jean. And uh, I'm not a big fan of drinking games, but if you, if you did it whenever I said the word young during this episode, I, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for your, uh, for your liver. Now, Scott, he's ticked off because he feels as though the X-Men are babysitting them. And, well, yeah, they, they kind of are. And, well, yeah, they kind of have been ever since you all showed up in the first place. So this is no different than usual. Now, as the kids argue, Jean picks up on some sort of presence nearby. Out of nowhere, Warren is shot, and he's KO'd right off the bat. He's really getting his money's worth being a part of this event, isn't he? You know, he's, he shows up. Uh, then, Hank is hit with a Bafo trank dart, which puts him out of action as well. Jean then guides Scott into the park, where she senses the presence. Scott indiscriminately blasts at some trees, and uh, this reveals their aggressor. Kid Cable, who Scott immediately recognizes as a younger version of Cable, like straight away, which, I don't know, I probably would have guessed X-Man myself, but what do I know? So there's a struggle and a brief argument over whether these time-displaced teens should be in present day. Then, Cable grabs the KO'd angel and body slides by two right out of Dodge. The rest of the X-Men conveniently arrive on the scene right as Cable's dust begins to settle. The kids explain that they were just attacked by a younger version of Cable, which confuses damn near everyone. Real Jean asks Young Jean to join her at Cerebro for safekeeping. Young Jean ain't wanting none of that. Instead, she wants to head off with the remnants of X-Force. That'd be Cannonball, Domino, Warpath, Boom Boom, and Shatterstar. Later, young Hank wakes up from his trank slumber in Real Hank's lab. Real Hank tells young Hank that they were attacked by young Cable. You know, since young Hank was fast asleep at the time of the reveal. Young Hank suggests that young Cable is acting quite brazenly, to which real Hank posits that this wasn't a brazen act, but a desperate one. We next shift over to young Cable's safe house, where it would appear that he's sawing Angel's wings off. 
Okay, and uh, Kid Cable's gonna be a good guy, huh? Mm. Okay, let's jump back to the Xavier Institute for the ending here. A Habitax. And so we get a few pages of X-Men on hound action, bringing us right to the end of the issue, where it's revealed that one of Ahab's hounds is Old Man Logan. Well, let's talk about this. Um, I'm having early Phoenix Resurrects lapsed flashbacks here because I love this. I really, really love this. I had a lot of fun with this one. And just like with uh, the early issues of Phoenix Resurrection, I can hardly wait to get to the next chapter. This was a really good time. Uh, Let's take a look at some of my main takeaways from the issue here. Uh, During the Amalgamated X-Men meeting, Iceman suggests that his younger self couldn't possibly be dead because he's still alive in the present. Here's where I'm a bit confused. Um, Though that probably has a lot to do with my X reading for the second half of the 2010s being pretty spotty. I thought, and I could totally and 100% be wrong here... um, that it was revealed at some point in time that the time-displaced X-Men were from a non-616 Marvel Universe? Like, didn't they try to get sent back one time only to learn that they couldn't be sent back to a time that they didn't actually come from? Maybe I dreamt that. Uh, Hopefully, by the time we get through this event miniseries, I'll have a better grasp on the particulars. Or, you know, any grasp at all. Because uh, if they are revealed as the 616 ones, because... Last episode, we talked about those, um, the theories, right? What would happen if they went back with the knowledge? That was with the assumption that these weren't 616 characters. Like, my question was, what if they were? And if they are, I mean, the only way they can go back is with a mind wipe, right? Which I, I hope I didn't just spoil myself. Because uh, that's the only way I could see them going back in back to the 616 would be with a mind wipe. And maybe that's why... Uh, Kid Cable is sawing off Angel's weird wings. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out as we get there. Uh, Now, I really liked that the uh, teenage X-Men were acting like teenagers here. In the the timeless sort of way. Like the stuck-between-childhood-and-adulthood sort of way. And not... Certainly not the talking like they're constantly posting on Twitter sort of way. Now, that, to me, was among the main failings of X-Men Blue... They turned the too-cute, snarky banter up to 11 in that book, which A. sucked, B. didn't give me a team I wanted to root for, and C. sucked. Now, having Scott be perturbed that the X-Men are trying to babysit them made perfect sense. Uh, Also, the fact that the X-Men are kind of usurping a fight which Scott felt was theirs, right? It was their fight, the original Five's fight against Ahab. He was coming for them. And here we are with Kitty and and the you know the main X Men saying, "No, nah, we got this one." You know, got to remember. I mean, Scott, while young, has been a field leader for a, a while now. Now, having Kitty more or less more or less bench them would certainly be seen as something of a slap in the face. And while that wasn't that isn't the intention, uh, a teenager of any era could see it that way. So I like the way this was portrayed. I'm not so sure about Scott recognizing Kid Cable right away. That seems a little bit convenient. I think I'd have preferred it had Scott recognized that the kid was familiar, and maybe had a suspicion, but wasn't 100% sure who he was here. Though, in fairness, we've only got three more issues to fill, so we got to keep this thing moving on. Uh, the cliffhanger. Cliffhanger was something. I, I got to say, I mean, I know I- I've read The Death of Wolverine, 
I've read the first maybe, yeah, boy, six months to a year's worth of Old Man Logan when he was in the 616 post-Secret Wars. I don't know where, I don't know where he went to. I don't know how we get rid of Old Man Logan. So is this extermination event his swan song as well? Are we getting rid of the original five, Old Man Cable and Old Man Logan here? And Bloodstorm, I guess? Um, are we going to get the reveal that he's always been a hound of Ahab? Um, or is this cliffhanger something that'll just resolve itself within the first couple of pages of the next chapter? I'm not sure, but I am very much looking forward to finding out. The art. Let's talk about the art here. It was pretty phenomenal, as should be expected from the talents involved. A really nice-looking book, which made this event feel even more important than it already is. Uh, overall, maybe I'm being a little bit Pollyanna here, but I'm having a heck of a time with this so far. Um, of course, I was also having a great time with Phoenix Resurrection until the final issue as well. Let's hope that this one doesn't go the way of talking to a bird for an entire issue. Uh, really good stuff here. Uh, if you haven't checked this out yet, I definitely, definitely recommend you do. And that's about all I got to say about this issue. This might be the shortest episode yet, and it's for a book that I absolutely adored. Go figure. I guess I guess you get more time when you complain, right? When there's stuff to complain about, you can't shut me up. But I hope you're enjoying the coverage, and I hope you're enjoying the book if you are following along as well. Uh, if you are, please, please consider reaching out and let me know how you feel about this series. Uh, maybe give me some of your original five time-displaced X-Men memories. How, how, did you, how did you like it when they showed up? How did you like it when they wouldn't leave? <laughs> how did you like it when they finally did? Uh, please feel free to reach out. You can find me a few different places on the internet. You can find me on Twitter, at Ace Comics. Or you can hit me up on the old-fashioned email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, where I'm just shy of a week away from uh, my five-year anniversary there, posting new comics-related content every single day since January 31st, 2016. Long, long time ago. So yes, chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. If you'd like to talk to us on Facebook about X-Men, about anything you want, find us. We're at 90s X-Men. And you can listen to the entirety of the Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Well, that'll do it. This is almost certainly the shortest episode of this program yet, unless there's an episode of Major X Lapsed I'm forgetting about that might have gone a little shorter. That is a possibility. There was a... Not always a lot to talk about in that one, but uh, I'd like to thank you for sharing your time with me all the same. It really, really means a lot. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.